I've been following the documentary by Henry Louis Gates on PBS in honor of Black History Month. And so today I share a few reflections about what watching that made me think for where we are at in the book of Exodus. Why all of this talk of building the Mishkan? Why is it that we, you know, we escape slavery, we have a very brief period of complaining and of getting the Ten Commandments, we got the social legislation <clears throat> that reminded us how we need to behave differently and how eventually we're in the process of creating a society with different norms and whose rights and rituals are signs of remembrance of oppression and therefore the mission to change those things and to live out a different kind of society among ourselves than what we see around us. But then building tabernacle, building tabernacle, making uniforms, hooks for hanging curtains and walls. And this continues for such a large part of the book of Exodus. So one of the things that Henry Louis Gates points out, for those who were brought to this country in the Pan-African slave trade, they had nothing in the sense of that was their, that was their own. They had tribal memories, they had melodies and songs and practices. The tribes were mixed together. They're roughly, according to him, 50 different kinds of tribes that found themselves mixed together. And everything, so much of their dignity had been taken away. And it was in the black church that they found something that was truly theirs. The black church, he says, was the oldest, most continuous, and the most important institution ever created by the African American people. I wonder if the Mishkan that we're reading about its creation, its design, its importance, whether we truly appreciate how much the temple and the synagogue, could we call it the oldest, the most continuous and the most important institution ever created by our people? He writes that the black church merged the two worlds that African-American slaves, African slaves were living in. And as their children were born, African-American slaves were living in. It merged the two worlds of the sacred and the secular. Said so politics and religion were inextricably intertwined in this special form of Christianity. I wonder if we would say the same thing about Judaism how politics and religion are inextricably intertwined. Certainly they seem to be so in the book of Exodus. The building of the Mishkan mixed together, interspersed with social legislation, as if it's saying a society without these norms and demands doesn't deserve to exist. Henry Louis Gates points out that the church has often come under fire for not being political enough. It's sort of, it is, its right to exist has been challenged from within. For example, during the Ferguson uprising, some said the Ferguson uprising is our church. And spending time in church might be a distraction. As of course we know within, within African-American Christian and liberation thought, the struggle of the role of whether the church is political enough. And he admits that maybe like the synagogue, the church hasn't been fast enough with taking on issues of women's leadership and homophobia. And we wonder if that's true within the synagogue itself, whether we were too slow to accept the fact that even though the synagogue 
and the black church was based really on the work and the energy and the values of women that they weren't handed the pulpit soon enough. Nevertheless, what Gates argues is that to reduce the spiritual experience, the spiritual religion of African-Americans to the politics, to the tikkun olam, would deprive the black church of something extremely important in its foundation is celebration. So one of the pieces that we notice here is how much the issue of celebration and joy is crucial to what occurs within the tabernacle and within the sanctuary. The priest is not allowed to tear their garment despite whatever tragedy is happening. We of course don't do public Shiva during Shabbat. And in times like this, we could easily, I am tempted to, I would want to spend the entire service were I not forbidden from doing so by the tradition in recounting our losses, the people who are suffering and our enormous grief. And yet the tradition demands the Shabbat and coming to the temple, it's in a way Tameh. We leave behind issues of grief and mourning and we celebrate together. So Henry Louis Gates argues that if we reduce the African-American religion to political activism, and of course, young people today probably think there's no place in the synagogue because we should all be on the streets instead, that these kinds of conversations take place within our own religion, even today. But do we remember that the Mishkan was a place where we take those who are oppressed and give them places to celebrate? We remember that Moses himself tells Pharaoh what we're demanding is to go out into the wilderness and get away from this place, Lichgog, to have Chag, to celebrate and to be happy for three days, to worship our God, Lichgog meaning to dance, to dance, to be festive, and to have a banquet. Henry Louis Gates says that the church doesn't depend on a national home. When you have no country of your own, where is your home? And although we celebrate the time period of the first Israel and now the second Israel, for most of Jewish existence, the Mishkan, the temple, the synagogue has been our home. Where would Jews be without the synagogue? Yes, we would have been pushed into ghettos. By definition, of course, the parts of cities and towns restricted to oppressed minorities. But that's not a home. How do you have a real home without having any national home? Maybe this is why we reside in the Mishkan in a sense and in its, in its presence for 40 years of this incubation period. And even when we enter the land, it's not yet really a national home as the tribes split up. Henry Louis Gates points out that in the black church, they mixed the tribal and pan-African past with the themes of the Exodus that was presented to them in the Bible. Now, the history of the black church is somewhat complicated, but at first, you know, whether Christians missionized to slaves, of course, was very dangerous because to introduce them to those themes was considered risky. And they had many rules against, for example, literacy and the ability to actually read for themselves. But what he's pointing out here is, even as they took on these words that were, not were foreign to them from Africa, the themes of the Exodus is what they focused on and mixed them with their tribal and Pan-African past of approximately 50 tribes mixed together. And here we see, as we enter this part of building the Mishkan in Exodus, 
a bridge that weaves together Genesis and Exodus, not just literarily, but literally. The Genesis themes are about family, about a tribe that had a history, a connection to God, and simple altar sites and oaths, simple individual memories of discrete events, discrete family, distant family and ancestors. It's the book of our patriarchs and our matriarchs. But now here in Exodus, their values, the pieces of those memories, that proud heritage is combined with a new authentic experience, experiences of mass oppression, of the tribal mixing into a multitude within that oppression and the Exodus from there. As at Sinai, a whole new set of norms are forged, a new common mind and common heart in the crucible of slavery and freedom. And yet we find these mysterious elements as well, these references to God by other names of El Shaddai, of divine messengers visiting our ancestors, of a religion that may not fit into the one we're practicing here exactly, but we are proud of for the connection to the merit of our ancestors. We find the different versions of God's various names brought together at the burning bush where God tells Moses, tell the people you knew me by all those different names, but now combine them into a single complex name in the mission to go from oppression to freedom, in the unified demand to Pharaoh of let my people go. The black church was a place of speaking subversion in front of the white spy. So since white slave owners in particular were very suspicious of letting blacks congregate in this way, they always had, and you see them in all the pictures he shows, see these images and lithographs of the early black church. And there's always a white person standing there to monitor what they say, to make sure they don't speak of rebellion. And here we are in synagogue and how often do we spend our time looking at all of the Midrashim, let's say um, about Esau, about Esau and about Edom. And we have chapters and chapters, pages and tomes of Divre Torah that used to be delivered basically in the synagogue. They're all about the evils of Esau. All of them sound just exactly like they're really about the Romans uh, and the oppressors who are monitoring our services. How many of the Haftarot reflect actually political themes in disguise? But how is it that in front of the censors, we had a way of speaking a secret code that was about them as it was in the black church. Henry Louis Gates tells us, don't reduce the black church to the elements that they bring from the outside. One of the common criticisms of a black church is to, of the black church's history is they appropriated the tools and language of the oppressor. I find it's a common prejudice today to say even in our own synagogues, well, you know, Jews appropriated, they got the Seder, which is coming up, from the Hellenistic Symposium. The Jews got the Festival of Lights from the pagan solstice festivals, or the Jews got the Noah story from the Epic of Gilgamesh. But as Gates points out with the Black Church, and I would point out with Judaism, of course we take elements, we take things. The important thing is not that they are appropriated, but to look at how those stories function and are used. The Seder does something amazing. It both claims the mantle of being highborn aristocrats, 
of taking and wearing the mantle of the oppressor class, the Romans. We too now sit at the high table. We too are served instead of serving. We too drink all of the wine we wish. And we too get our own tables. The Seder plates were originally individual tables for each person. But we don't talk about frivolous topics like they did. We talk about the meaning of freedom by elevating them to their true source, the God of liberation. Or the story of Noah. Yes, it's a lot like the Epic of Gilgamesh, except there the gods were angry at the people for making so much noise and disturbing the soap opera that the gods were living out in the celestial sphere. But in the book of Genesis, it says what God is so disturbed at is the Hamas, the violence, and the aggression, the immorality that's going on on earth. Or the festival of lights. Yes, light in the midst of darkness, joy, celebration, and fun. And then connected to a war for freedom, the freedom to, for everyone to worship in their own way. Henry Louis Gates says that the connection of everything within the black church was connected to the experience of oppression and that that became the foundation of identity, but not of inferiority. And now we see how much all the little pieces that the Levites brought to our people were pieces that say, this is a remembrance of where you came from. This is a remembrance of slavery and it serves to give you your mission. In terms of the tribes coming together in the Pan-African experience, the Levites deliver this message of your common background even to the Israelites who were never in slavery, to the tribes who are spread apart and squabbling as we see in so many of the Haftarot in the book of Nevi'im, how they are given a way to come together to claim a past and a future that transcends their individual identity. Ironically, perhaps, the place which is a constant reminder of oppression becomes a place where those themes are combined with celebration. The church was, of course, the black church different than the churches around it. They were places of drumming, of clapping, of particular styles of speaking and preaching, and of joy. When slaves, Henry Louis Gates says, were not allowed to leave their immediate premises and see others, the church became a place to see each other and to share news. And I think of Later on, when the temple is built, people shared news of what was going on, births and deaths, mornings, and life cycle events of celebration. And we realize how much we miss today by meeting this way instead of in person, because it really is the incidental ways of seeing each other in a common space away from our homes that allows for the free flow of sharing news and smiles and feeling part of something larger than ourselves. To conclude, this people in America, with everything taken away from them, they finally, they finally had something that was truly theirs. Maybe for others, it's just Judaism is just the, the culture they were born into that is theirs, whether it's sports or the latest extracurriculars. Or maybe for people, what is theirs is the nation they happen to be born into. But for me, it's the synagogue, it's this house. It's connecting me to the ancient ancestors in a continuous line down to me and my children. I inherit the only thing that was truly theirs for Jewish history, their synagogue. God bless Beth Israel. <laughs>